Check one on sound. Check one. We are ready to rock and roll. Ephesians chapter 1. Verses, is this 7 through 14? Okay, so we got 7 through 14. We're really going to focus more on 8b through 14. And 8b starts with this phrase, in all wisdom and insight. So just a heads up, that's what our focus is. We're starting with in all wisdom and insight. But, but we'll start with 7, because it's in your bulletin, and it's right here. In Him, that is Jesus, we have redemption through His blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. All right, now our focus for today. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in it, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Once again, a mouthful from Paul the Apostle. This is one sentence. I mentioned this last week. This is one sentence in the Greek. I mean, he is going off because he is praising the Lord for his incredible plan, for God's incredible action in the world, and work in the hearts of people. It's glorious. And let's dive into it this morning, 8b through 14. And as we start, I get to mention one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, And I love to mention movies, as you well know. Hunter has seen this somewhat recently. Um, But I realized I'm not going to recommend it this morning. Because when I saw it as a child, I thought it was the greatest thing ever. It's called The Goonies. But I watched it recently with my children and realized there is an incredible amount of profanity in that movie. Just so you know. Don't remember it as a kid, but now I remember it as an adult. Uh, Yet I still love it. It is this really cool story of this group of young kids. And they get together, you know, they live near the seaside, and they go on a grand adventure together. And what starts their adventure is the fact that they venture into a scary attic at the very beginning of the movie and the thunder's rolling and the lightning is crashing all around them and they find this picture that's in the attic and it's from, you know, umpteen hundreds of years ago and they're, they accidentally break it or the clumsy kid in the movie breaks it and they pull out the picture and lo and behold, what's on the back of the picture? A treasure map. Aye, mateys. And, you know, they live on the coast, and so it's obvious that the pirates left this treasure map behind, and it's obvious that it's now their task to go find the treasure. And so the movie, as it unfolds, is them trying to find this treasure. I won't tell you whether they find it or not. You'll have to watch and see for yourself. But it is an, an adventure to find treasure is something that we all have thought about or longed for at some point in our life. 
even if it was just for a lottery ticket that you can get down at your local convenience store. And the reason that we think about that type of adventure, either from the lottery or you know, from a treasure map that might be buried in our attic, is because it would be pretty awesome to be rich, wouldn't it? Anybody, ever, anybody here ever long to be rich? I'm going to admit it. You don't have to. I've longed to be rich. Why? Riches provide a lot of really great things. Riches provide security. Never have to worry about paying the bills again, do you, if you're totally rich. It provides pleasure. You can do anything you want, really, when you have a lot of money. You can go wherever you want. You can travel the world if that's what you desire. You can go nuts with your given hobby. (laughs) You can buy that $15,000 bicycle. Also, one of the things that comes with riches, and our society knows this all too well, respect, dignity, right? You step out of your Tesla, everybody's like, ooh, (laughs) that guy must be okay. Or that gal, she has made it in this world. Riches tremendously change your identity as a human being. And y'all, that is the book of Ephesians in a nutshell. That's it. You, through Christ, are rich. That's it. We're going to unpack that, and it's going to go on and on throughout the chapters, and it gets better and better as we go, so hang on tight. But that is the message of Paul in this book. You are rich with heavenly blessings. And now your goal, because of that, is to live out that identity. No longer an orphan child on the street side, crying yourself to sleep at night. Oh no, through Christ, you have been found and you are the son or the daughter of the king and an inheritance is waiting for you. You are, not will be, you are rich. Okay, so how does the Bible get into this? How does Ephesians get into this? Well, let me start us with Jesus. Because really, Paul is unpacking Jesus. And here's what Jesus says in chapter 6 of Matthew. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's now this morning dig into real riches. Real riches. Not the fleeting kind where moths and vermin come in and take it, and it gets stolen from us, but stuff that can't ever be taken away from us. Okay. Here's our outline. If you've got your little bulletin in front of you, you want to take some notes, here's how it's going to play out. Um, first of all, there is a map. And this is a little bit different than one senior bulletin. Sorry, I changed it up a little bit. Keep you on your toes. Number one, there is a map. Number two, what's on the map? Number three, what's the X? What's the endpoint on that treasure map? And finally, how do we know this map is for real? How do we know this treasure map is for real. Okay. So let's start now with verse 10. And here's what verse 10 says. It says, So God is making known to us the mystery of his will, that's verse 9, which he set forth 
in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. It's a very simple point. Verse 10. God has a plan. <laughs> I know, that seems silly for me to even say it, but it's important for us to mention at the beginning, y'all, because much of our world does not think this way. You may have even had points, or even now may not think this way, because it can often feel like there's not a plan, like God is not active, like God is not moving. But the Bible teaches us that absolutely 100% He is, and that there is a plan. Now, in past ages, even if you read you know, Greek tragedies or you read things like Oedipus, uh, if you're into that sort of history kind of thing, you'll, you'll find that other cultures before ours put a little more emphasis on this idea of there might be total determinism. You know what determinism is? There might be the reality that all things are in stone, locked in, you have no say, your life doesn't matter, your decisions don't matter, conk! Everything is determined. Fate, 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 fate. Okay, so that, so we don't experience that as much now. Because in modern America, we're much more in the fact of like, you can determine your own, go look at the self-help section at Barnes & Noble. You can make your path. Your destiny is up to your decisions in 2019. You know, I mean, whatever. You've seen the stuff. You, and trust me, because you're American, you've bought it to some degree. You've bought into this idea that, you know, you have 100% freedom to determine your destiny. Okay, now here's what's interesting about what's happening in Ephesians. Paul says this mystery, this plan is being revealed. And it all has to do with Jesus Christ. And here is Paul's opening point about this plan. And we have to come to grips with this. And I don't even have to explain it all because it's just in the Bible and you and God can get together on it. Here's the point. 100% God is in control of all things. And he has, he started it all. He's at work right now uh, doing his work in people's lives and in the world around us. And he knows exactly how it's going to end and exactly where it's going. And it's all perfectly planned out. Okay? 100% in control. And at the same time, according to Ephesians, we have 100% freedom. 100% freedom. You go figure it out. Okay, that is what's in Ephesians, and it's saying it is a mystery. (laughs) Paul uses this word mysterion in the Greek, and it's going to come up over and over as we go through Ephesians. But the reality is that these two things just coexist. And that means, ultimately, and I'm going to give us some backup from Scripture on that, but ultimately it means that, yes, you can screw up. Okay, you can mess your life up. You may already have messed your life up. God's going to use it. He's always going to use it. And he's always going to keep it within his perfect plan. You can't go off the rails so far that God can't use it. It's just impossible. Yay. Amen. Amen. Woo. Because if you're like, some of us have gone off the rails on occasion. And you may still be headed that direction. But God's got it. He's got it. He's not going to let it go. He is going to complete the work that he has begun. It's what Paul talked about all throughout the first chapter here in Ephesians. Destined. You are destined for something. Now, let me explain this. Even here in Ephesians, here's how this plays out. My point here plays out in Ephesians. Ephesians says, look, we just read it last week. You are destined to grow in grace. God found you. God chose you before the foundations of the world. You are destined to grow in Christ. 
Okay? You are, you are going to become more like him. But chapters 4, 5, and 6 of this same book, here's what Paul's going to say. He's going to say, that may be true, but I want you to work at it with every fiber of your being for every minute of your life. How can those two things go together? You're destined for it. It's going to happen. You're going to become more like Christ. And now Paul says, I want you to go work, 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 work real hard to be more like Jesus. Okay? Again, we're seeing these two things go hand in hand. It's, got, it's a mystery. You're, it's going to be tough to figure it out. Another, another instance of this. In the Old Testament, often God would bring judgment upon Israel because Israel was going off the rails. They were sinning. They were becoming a mess. And he would send a, 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 a Babylonian country or, or some other force, uh, a nation state, to come in and attack Israel as punishment. And then God would turn right around and say, okay, now that you've punished Israel, I'm punishing you. Do what? Okay, again, wrap your head around it. It's not easy. It's God saying, I'm in control of this. At the same time, you're responsible. And we find it most profoundly in Acts chapter 2, and where, where the Bible says, and Luke's the writer of Acts, and he says, look, it was destined that Jesus Christ would come to this earth, that he'd be born, and that he would be crucified by you. Now, I want you to repent for crucifying him. What? Right? He's saying it's destined. This was going to happen. You were going to crucify him. It was in my plan. And now repent for that sin of crucifying Jesus. Okay? You're seeing these two things. They, they go together. And then, and then there's one final, most interesting one, I think. It's John, this guy named J. Grisham Machen talks about it. It's in Acts 27. And it's a, if you have time to read it this week, I highly encourage it. Acts 27. Paul's in a boat. He was often in a boat. In the Mediterranean at that time, they traveled by boat. And there, he's out with this whole group of other men. He's, he's been arrested, and so they have him in chains. But he's out, you know, it's all these soldiers are with him, and, and merchants are on this ship, and it's sailing. And they're like, oh no, the weather's going to turn on us. And it absolutely does. It goes crazy, y'all. The winds are battering them for weeks on end. They're having to throw things overboard. And it, it, to all the sailors, they're walking around going, all is lost. We are all dead it is over. Nice knowing you. And Paul says, nope, last night I had a dream. And in that dream, an angel visited me. And that angel told me, not one person on this boat is going to die. You're good. Woohoo! And they're like, you're crazy. But here's what's interesting. A couple days later, the men decide, we don't believe Paul. Even though, yes, you had an angel, of a vision from an angel. We don't believe you. And we're, we're going to pack up one of the lifeboats. And we're all going to get in the lifeboat. And we're going to take off. And we're just going to see if we can do better than this boat. that's about to be wrecked on the, the shore of this land. And we're all going to die. And Paul says, look, if you get off the boat, we're all going to die. Okay. Hold up. He just told us from an angel, from God, no one on this boat is going to die. But, if you get in that lifeboat, Paul just said, all of us will die. Huh? Okay, again, y'all, the Bible just says these things. It says, God is in control. He's in control of everything. He has a plan for your life individually and for the world, for the universe. And at the same time, you can make real choices and you can screw things up royally. Okay? These two things just go together. He has a plan. 
And he uses our 100% freedom for that plan. Wow. Wow. It's just awesome. If you think about it, it is awesome. Okay, so that is the map. There is a plan. God has a plan for the universe, for history. Things are coming to a conclusion. It is not just cycles going on forever and ever. There is a plan and a conclusion. Now, what's on the map? He says it right here. Verse 8b is where we start. In all wisdom and insight, God has made known to us the mystery of his will. Well, that's easy to understand, isn't it? God has made known to us the mystery of his will. Many people have asked the question, what is God's will? Books, ink has been spilled on this topic. What is God's will for the world, for my life, for us? Paul's telling us right here. Here's the will of God. Here's the substance of it, the center, the most important part. Okay, what is it? What's on this map? What is the mystery of God's will? Teaser alert, and this will be our final point too today. Ready for it? To unite all things. That is the mystery of God's will. Now, we have to understand this word mystery for a minute, if we're going to understand the mystery of God's will. It is not talking about the mystery cults of that day. Because some people who read it then would have thought this. We have a different reading, and I'm going to get to that in a second. But the reading of many of the folks who read it then would have thought, oh, this is one of those mystery cults. And here's how the mystery cults work. They said, you're going to get some secret knowledge, and you're going to be awesome for that, and you're going to have spiritual power of the, all the people around you. And so they would, they would do these cults, and they would be like, we have this secret little book. Still happens today, y'all. I mean, we have cults all over the place. I mean, America is known for cults. It's like, we got this secret. We got it. There was this guy who held up, you know, plates to his face, and he got the secret message, and now we got the secret message. That's what was going on a lot back then. But that is not the mystery of God's will as Paul talks about it. Here's why. You're going to find throughout the book of Ephesians and throughout the New Testament, Paul says, let's take this mystery and shout it from the rooftops. Let's post it. We're going to call it the gospel. The good news. It's going to be like a newspaper message we're spreading. So it's the opposite of, hey, I've got a secret what I'm going to tell you about. It's get the word out. So, okay, again, mystery was different than the mystery cults, and it's different than we understand mystery today. We often think, oh, a mystery novel. Yes, basically, it's going to be real, 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 real hard to figure out. And you're going to be stumped until the last minute, and then there's a twist at the very end, and it's like, yes, woo! Okay, it's different than that. Here's what it is to Paul. This word, mysterion in the Greek, it means something that was hidden is now revealed. Something that was hidden is now, eureka, we got it. So it is clear, and it is profound, and it is life-changing, and here's what Paul says it is, okay? It's different than the mystery we understand. He says it like this. Chapter 3 of Ephesians. I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is... Boom, 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 boom. Ready? Ready? This mystery is that... The Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. There it is. 
What's the mystery? God is uniting all things. And he started with one of the most profound ever. It doesn't hit us in the same way that hit people back then. But y'all, for a Jew to say, the Gentiles are coming in. They're getting the same thing we got. They're getting God in the same way we got it. They're getting the same gifts we got. They're getting all the riches of this incredible religion. It blew people's minds. Y'all, the Christians of that day were killed. They were murdered for saying this kind of stuff. That we're getting the that we are now united with the Jews and we are the new Israel, it was a profound revelation of a mystery that had been hidden for all time. The Jews weren't allowed to eat with Gentiles. They weren't allowed to touch them. And now you're saying, bring them in. They're in the same family. They're now your brothers and sisters. It blew the world apart at that time. And it's why we still know Christianity to this day. God was doing something amazing and he's still doing it. God is uniting all things. He is uniting all things. Let me help us get this a little bit in a more existential way. You know, and I don't have to give you a ton of examples, that everything is falling apart. Especially if you're like me and you're over 40. Because you sense that your body is falling apart. And you sense that relationships fall apart, right? The, the, the government falls apart. Things are just spreading away. People are constantly fighting. It's all we do all the time. DJ, the guy who does music here, he's going to get a little shout out today, but I love how he talks about competition. He thinks sports are just one more example of the fact that we love to be divided. We just love it. We don't love to be united. We love to be divided. We love to fight. We love to spread. The entire universe itself is spreading apart and growing colder, according to the scientists. That's not according to me. It is just what's happening. Things fall apart and continue to fall apart and will, con- will be falling apart. And God is saying, Mm-mm, I'm going to reverse that. The plan is that that is not going to continue forever. That there is going to be a bringing together. And the first fruits of that is going to be the fact that I am going to engraft the Gentiles into the nation of Israel. And it's going to be amazing. He's saying this is just a picture of what's to come. Unity. Unity is a big deal, and it is a revelation that is given to us by God, that in Christ, things are brought together. So that's our third point. That's our third point. God, in his plan, is uniting things together. But what's the end point? What's the treasure, the true treasure? You know, it's like a map, if you think about the bottom part where there's the little key. And it tells you, this is the distance between this point and this point. It tells you that that X means this, and that little green triangle means that that's where a little... You know, you've seen a map, right? Here's the key. Paul gives it to us right here. He says, God is bringing everything together in Christ Jesus. That is his tool. That is what... It's the end point. It's what he's doing. In Christ, all things are going to be united and brought together. That's a heady concept, I admit, but let's unpack it for just a minute. If we're honest, it's what we all want. There, I know there are lots of things you want. Hunter wants, give me an example. Apple Watch. Apple Watch. <laughs> Classic. Yes. We all want lots of things. You might want a new phone. You want a new, you know, car. Maybe you want a new home. 
I don't know what it might be for you, but there's lots of different things that we would like that would be new to us. But ultimately, what we all want in our hearts of hearts is true and intimate union with other people. I, I know you may not feel that every day, every minute of every day, but from the moment that the umbilical cord is cut, we want to get back in to that kind of warmth and union. Now, that sounds weird, but it's what Paul talks about when he says there's, there's a born again. There's a sense in which, y'all, we want more than anything else intimate union with other people. I remember one of my friends was kind of trying to help me deal with some of my own emotional problems. And he gave me this book, and it's from the 70s. Some good stuff happened in the 70s, if you're wondering. And this book was one of them. And it's called Games People Play. Have you ever heard of this? You guys remember this? And uh, it's a beaut. It's a beaut. And it's, it's talking about this thing called transactional analysis. And it's talking about the fact that, and you don't read it if you want to maintain good relationships with all the people in your life, because it's going to show you the sham that is the relationships in your life. And it's good for that. But I really appreciate the conclusion to the book. Because he's like, look, all of us live lives with relationships of convenience. We just do. We are horrifically selfish. And we play games with all the people in our life so that we can try to get what we really want from them. If you dig into it, it's kind of gross. So be warned. Because you're going to find out stuff about yourself you didn't want to know. But... It's not a Christian book. At the end, the guy's point is, if we could just get rid of the games, you know what we discover? True, intimate, raw communion with other people. He's like, it's what all of us ultimately want. It's the deepest longing of our heart. This was not given to him by Paul from Ephesians. Paul in Ephesians is given to us. And he's saying that's exactly what we want. And Christ is who is bringing us towards that goal. Conclusion. In, con- in conclusion. Oh no, that skips a whole point. But, okay, we're going to skip a point. Okay, we were going to talk about the Holy Spirit because that's in <laughs> verses 12 through 14, but we're going to do that next week. Aren't you excited? <gasps> Yay. Come back for more. Um, but we're going to skip that for now. And I'll just briefly say the Holy Spirit is an inherit, is a guarantee, is a deposit of the riches that are coming our way. Okay? That's what the Holy Spirit is. There you go. Boom. Covered that point real quick. But I want to get to some application. How does this play out in the real world, in real time, in our real lives? Here's one of them. There's three I've got. Number one, it's the point of the church. This is why we do what we do. Right here. Right? So, we are here to worship. But why is it not okay for Christians to worship alone at home? There's some, there, y'all can watch a thousand YouTube videos that are better than me talking about the Word of God. I'm serious about that. But the reason we get together is because God has said, I want you, the church, to be a picture of this thing I'm doing called bringing people together. Paul, you're going to hear this throughout the book of Ephesians. He's going to say, have grace for one another, forgive one another, love one another. You guys are going to constantly hurt each other, but don't give up, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. You are the picture of what I am doing in the world. And don't lose that picture. Don't start fighting with one another. 
Don't start being merciless with one another. Don't start accusing one another. Don't judge one another. Please, Paul says, we are a picture of what Christ is doing in the world. Let's keep doing it. Let's keep being gracious with one another. I don't know how you feel about the person sitting next to you today, but God's saying, Paul's saying, and because Paul's saying it, God's saying it, love them, love them, love them. Make it unconditional. Give them grace when you think you should bring down the hammer on them. Give them love when you think what they need is a good kick in the pants. And you know what? Sometimes love is a kick in the pants, just to be honest. Kids, yeah. Just want to make sure Hunter's hearing that when we're talking this morning. But be unified in Christ. You're going to hear that theme over and over and over through the book of Ephesians. Because the book of Ephesians is also about the church. That's number one. Number two, there's two more. Don't lose heart. It's another theme you're going to see from Paul throughout the book of Ephesians. And it's this. God has a plan. And Paul is real. He says, there are going to be plenty of days when you are not going to feel it and you are not going to see it. You're just going to have to trust it. That God has a plan for your life. And that He is going to work out things to where you, by the time you are dying on your deathbed, you're going to be more like Jesus than you are today. And you're not going to be able to figure out (laughs) the route there. Because it's going to be circuitous and it's going to require way more suffering than you would have given to that equation. But God's going to do it. And you can, have, you can take courage. You can take heart in that fact. And finally, and this is going to be an application that comes up over and over, so I don't think I have to cover it fully today uh, throughout the book of Ephesians. And it's this. Live like a rich person. Live like a rich person. Don't live timid and, and, and feel like you're poor or God's not going to give you anything. He's like, look, I can give you real peace. I can give you real security. I can bestow true pleasure. I can make it so that you can travel the world and enter into any calling without a dime in your pocket because you've got me. You've got Christ. You can go anywhere. You can live a more luxurious life than the person who has billions of dollars in their account because you know what they don't have? Happiness. (laughs) They don't have happiness. And you can hold your head high with respect and with dignity. Because the riches that you have are not about the fact that you got a Tesla and you get to impress your friends. It's the fact that in Christ, the riches of heaven have been given to you. But I have to give one caveat to that. When we are called into this rich family of God as sons and daughters of the King, we have to remember that it's an upside-down kingdom, and it's not the same as the rich money kingdoms of this world, which all eternally, internally destroy themselves constantly. It's different. He says, if you want to be the first, you're going to have to be the last. You're going to be the servant of all, because my kingdom, your son or daughter in it, is upside down. And you're going to serve, and you're going to take the last place. And like me, when I play games with my kids, you're going to have to throw the game a lot. Even when you want to win, you want to get in front, you want to cut off that person who just cut you off in traffic. He's like, nope. You just, you turn and you say, I'm going to love them and I'm going to get back in my lane and I'm going to throw the game. 
because I am a son or a daughter of an upside-down kingdom. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, you have made us rich. Or though, yes, we like money. And we have been taught as Americans that we should get things that we don't need using money that we don't have for reasons that we don't understand. But your kingdom is giving us a different message. Right here through Ephesians, you're giving us a different message. That this money and the stuff we buy is not going to do it. It's not real riches. So Lord, I pray for anyone in here that has never truly experienced your real riches, that today would be the day that they begin to dig into them and begin to swim in the gold coins that are your blessings, that is your grace, that is your mercy. Lord, thank you that we are allowed to dive into Ephesians this week and get into the beauty of true riches. We pray all this in Christ because it is through Christ and it is all leading towards Christ. So it's in His name we pray. Amen. One more picture that the Lord gives us um, about unity. Again, remember? Remember the point of Ephesians and the point of the sermon? God is uniting all things together through Christ. That's why, this, that's why we do this meal. This meal is a picture of not only our unity with one another, hence why we partake together, but it's also a picture of our unity with Christ. That's why it's bread, that's why it's wine, because it's meant to go into our body, and then it's meant to get digested, and it's meant to get spread throughout all our parts. It's a physical picture of a spiritual reality, and it's all about unity. It's all about unity. So my encouragement for you today is to partake with that in mind. That Jesus wants to be even nearer to you than He is today. He wants to be closer to you than He is today. And that you can get closer to the people in this room than you are today. Amen? And we would also ask, if you have not placed your faith in Christ, if you are not united with Him then we would, we would ask that you do not partake of the meal today just because it is such a profound picture of the unity we have with Christ that, that Paul says to us, same guy wrote the book we're studying today, says, hey, don't do this in the wrong way. You've got to make sure, if you're going to take this, this physical picture of this meal, you need to make sure that the spiritual reality is also true. So we would ask, just pray, just let it pass by this morning. Um, but boy... If you have given yourself to Jesus, if you know yourself to be unified with Him, then rejoice in a fresh way this morning as the elements pass by. And, and because of that unity, we ask also that you would um, hold the bread so we can all share the bread together. Because on the night that Jesus was with His disciples in the upper room, He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Thanks. You can just pull off a piece um, as they come around. Try not to sneeze on it.